Good morning from All Things SR's podcast. Good morning, Leslie, and welcome everybody to our Good morning. (laughs) It's a fun day. It is a fun Saturday. It's gorgeous out. Finally, the sun is there, and it's nice and crisp like uh, our dear friend Kenzie likes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's cold. (laughs) (laughs) It's not that cold. (laughs) I'm still wearing sandals. (laughs) I'm exaggerating. I'm exaggerating. It is... is, um, it is a refreshingly crisp and cool fall morning. Mm-hmm. Um, October 8th, I can't believe it. As Betty just pointed out, and we were about to say as well, happy Thanksgiving weekend to all Canadians, including mm-hmm. our dear, dear author, Sylvain. Mm-hmm. Um, Canada's Thanksgiving is Monday. Monday, Monday. Monday. It should be a lot of fun. I... Uh... From from what I understand, Canadians uh, pretty much act like Americans do on their Thanksgiving with turkey and football. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it, it may, it's Canadian football. And if it, yeah, if anybody's ever watched Canadian football at all? I know in my house it, <laughs> during the uh, NFL strike. Uh, I did. It, it we we did watch it. <laughs> because I, I did indeed. There was no football in the house when I first got married. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. yes of, of course, I did have the prenup that was signed on a cocktail napkin and witnessed that uh, as a prenup, I was uh, that he could watch all NFL games that were on TV. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly. I know. Uh, <clears throat> it's, the, it's good. It's good. We did that. Oh, go ahead, Pammy. I said, and, and the, the team that was most favored was the Toronto Argonauts. Um, I don't know whether they went to the Grey Cup that year. That's the Canadian Football League Super Bowl. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of American football players on those teams. So. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. They go back and forth. Mm-hmm. You know, pro sports is pro sports. If you get to pay to play, you know, up something you're passionate about and something mm-hmm. you love, mm-hmm. you'll go. You'll go to the corners of the uh, globe to do so. I uh, remember studying abroad in Athens, and we met an American who was playing for the Greek basketball leagues, mm-hmm. and uh, he just said, "Yeah, this was a great opportunity. I get to travel and explore a different part of the country." And, you know, I'm hopefully, uh, pra- he was really young. So he was hoping to, you know, hone his skills, uh, to try and get back, um, well, to try and get into the NBA. So it was, um, it's pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. Well, exciting Kobe time. Bryant, Kobe Bryant's father played for the Italian basketball leagues. I didn't think I knew that. Mm-hmm. And, um, looking in here, um, <laughs> <laughs> there Ellie's also wishing happy Thanksgiving and and we actually did ask SR about that about what he does um and what traditionally they do in Canada and as Pam said he said 
It's traditional to cook a turkey dinner and celebrate with family and friends. There's usually varsity football this weekend along with the CFL. Mm-hmm. Watching football is part of the tradition. So I, I'm hoping everybody up there is going to have a great, great holiday. I hope so, too. I hope so, too. <laughs> Betty's saying, I can't wrap my head around uh, Thanksgiving any other day than Thursday. Um so, and I can see Betty uh, that uh, the diehard Yankee fans are in the house. <laughs> they won't wear Red Sox, anything Red Sox related. <laughs> this is true, but I will point out that the Orioles took the last series. Thank you very much. <laughs> Aaron Even Judge. though they're not in the post, <laughs> Aaron Judge broke the uh, Roger Maris's record. Yes, that was so fantastic, and I'm so sorry I didn't. I wasn't home to be able to watch it because I was. I was tracking his trajectory. I admire him so much. He's, Mm -hmm. um, you know, he is a great person as well as a great player um, from all accounts, and I'm really super happy for him. Um, So congratulations to Aaron Judge. And Betty's asking if Canadians have a Thanksgiving parade. Um, they do. Uh, I, don't, I don't think it's as well known as the New York parade or even some of the Philadelphia's parade or any of the local parades that people have. But I, I, I believe they do in Toronto. They do something like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but it's, you know, no matter what, it's still a long weekend for the Canadians. It's fun. Great holiday! It's my Thanksgiving has always been my favorite holiday because there was nothing ever expected, just family and good meal. You yes. know, you didn't have to worry about presents or, you know, all that kind of stuff. But so it was always a lot of fun. At least it and, wasn't in my house. So. Well, and another, I you know, another thing that happens this month, and Anna's. Um, beautiful post is highlighting that is this is breast cancer awareness month and Mm -hmm. i want to share what anna just posted because it's so beautiful she said an emotional share thursday home opener and it was pink the rink she was honored to be asked to drop the puck as an almost 15 year survivor and her emotional surprise was when her beloved 91 escorted her to center ice took the ceremonial face off And she was diagnosed as he was just starting to play on the ice. And watching him has always brought comfort and joy. Plus, they won won big 11-4. And reminding everyone to get checked. Everyone to get checked. Do your mammograms. Super important. I've done mine. I'm due again in January. So I'm good. Yep. Very, very good. Um, Ellie, I'm sorry you're struggling in 95-degree heat today. And no, just in not. time for outdoor stadium <laughs> marching pan competitions. I wish um, I, we could trade spaces. I'll, I'll go out. I'll go enjoy that 95-degree heat. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, and it's funny because as a little girl growing up, when you know, especially on Saturdays when I, like if I was sick, like tonsillitis, strep throat, whatever it may have been, I remember mm-hmm. always watching Saturday college football on Saturdays. And the only, oh, yeah. the only reason I liked watching college football was the bands. 
I knew you were going to say that, Pam. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) It's not the passion for the game. It's the passion for the pants. Yeah, it's the bands. I mean, you know, they would come, they would do these different formations and have all these great songs and everything. So it was, it was, that was my thing. (laughs) I would have made a good band mom, Ellie. The bands are fun. I actually had my um, 35th high school reunion um, last night, and we were reminiscing about marching band because I was in the band front. I was one of the majorettes, <laughs> and we were talking about being, our our uniforms at the time were were like a leotard. They were almost like it was like a bathing suit, you know. And we're out mm-hmm. there in 30 degree weather, twirling a baton. You can't even feel your fingers as you're expected to twirl. Mm-hmm. Um, good times it was lots lots of good times there mm-hmm. so but it was a real blessing and you know it reinforced some of the things we're going to talk about later about friendships and being connected and how important that is for your mental health yeah so it, it just kind of reinforced the whole weekend yeah um for us because that is really the focus of the show today um, I, kn- I know I mistakenly at the end of the last podcast was saying we were talking about the next part of the chapter. And then I realized we are already in October mm-hmm. and October 10th is World Mental Health Day. So as has been the tradition for all things SR podcast, we have a podcast um, every year reminding people and promoting the day and the importance of mental health. So that's what we're going to focus on today. Yes. And um, I'm loving Cheryl just joined. And mm-hmm. she said, Pam, Grandpa said, tell his girlfriend hello. Oh, he was, <laughs> uh, he was so sweet last weekend. Cheryl oh my God. and Grandpa and I had a little bit of a FaceTime chat. It was awesome. <laughs> I have to say Pam shared a little bit of that with me. And I almost, I cried. I, mm-hmm. It was so beautiful. I... Cheryl, your grandfather is just precious, yes. and your, your care and love of him is inspirational to me. Um, so I just love it, and keep on going, Grandpa. Keep on going. Absolutely. <laughs> and yeah. Betty, Cheryl, saying he wants to me to call the other ladies as well. <laughs> <laughs> so you two could have a FaceTime with Grandpa. Absolutely. <laughs> And it's very sweet. So, but I do thank you. I do. I that made my day last weekend. So let Grandpa know that. Give him a big hug for me. <laughs> but he's saying, "Oh, Grandpa sounds like snarky. Why settle for one girlfriend when you can have two? <laughs> <laughs> well, there, these things happen, but that's okay. <laughs> this is true. This is true. So, shall we talk about the news from SR? Oh, we can. We can. Uh, he, he hopes everybody has a good weekend and he wants to wish all Canadians a happy Thanksgiving. And he would also like to mention that Nina's birthday is October 12th. And uh, so please wish her a happy birthday if you can. And Nina, Nina deserves some love and support all the time. So she does a lot. With the amount of things that she does, um, she's remarkable. Yes. She really, really is. And she's so giving and so um, just so loving. Mm -hmm. And 
really talented writer to boot. So, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely early happy birthday wishes to, to Nina. Nina. Uh, also, he's giving away Gabriel's Promise bookmarks on his Instagram and Facebook pages. He's going to be closing that out on Monday. So if you make sure you comment, and I believe it's follow, like, and share uh, SR on Facebook and on Instagram as well. Um, we are also going to be getting uh, bookmarks from Nina, and uh, so we will be doing uh, our own giveaways on them at, that, at some point. Um, yes. Also, stay tuned. Yes, stay tuned. Um, also, he's happy to report that he's reviewed, um, and of course, I my scroll goes all the way down. <laughs> he's. Uh, Reviewed the shooting script for Gabriel's Redemption, and it's fantastic. Readers, readers will love it. Uh, Tosca has been in Oxford and Florence, scouting locations and making local arrangements. Uh, filming is slated to begin at the end of October, and he knows everybody's looking forward to seeing Melanie and Julio uh, back on set. Absolutely. So exciting. So exciting. Mm-hmm. Just seeing those shots from Oxford and Italy. Uh. And also he says, if uh, just a reminder that if you could spread the word about Gabriel's Redemption, uh, the book, that would be great. And because word of mouth is so important, especially to authors. You know, it helps when people spread the word about the books, they, they tend to sell out faster. So that's great. It really, really is. Mm-hmm. I'm and I'm reading the chat. Of course, Betty says and James. And James, of course. <laughs> James. God forbid. <laughs> because Paul is part of redemption as well. Absolutely, he's got a big part in redemption. Mm-hmm. Betty's Keep. kicking him, but that's all right. Your time will come, <laughs> Betty. <laughs> World War Three, Paul versus Gabriel. <laughs> Is that the scene you're most interested in seeing, Betty? <laughs> <laughs> and it's what it, uh, was it? Uh, was it w? What's that one with the cage matches? Oh, WWE. No, no, that's the World Wrestling Federation. Oh, WWE. Um, the one that does was it MMA? Oh, mixed martial arts. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll get we'll get Gabriel and, and uh, Paul in there just for Betty. <laughs> See who comes oh, out I... alive. <laughs> yes, handsome Paul hugging Julia. Mm-hmm, <laughs> she mm-hmm. can't wait to see that um, that part mm-hmm. of the scene. So it should be pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I'm I'm really happy. I'm. I'm you know, for the enthusiasm that SR wrote about the shooting script um, is super exciting. You know, um, I think it's, you know, I think it's the beauty of passion flicks. They really work with the authors to bring mm-hmm. the vision of the author, the true intended vision of the author to the screen. And I, that's, for me, I think that's the beauty of passion flicks. And I think that is why I, I'm really happy, proud, and thankful to be a founding member because it's such an opportunity for authors 
that nowhere else is offered them. And yeah. Ma- and Mary uh, did such a great job with the screenplay. Oh yeah. So you know every they they do everything just right as far as mm-hmm. that goes. So shall we get started? We shall. We shall. So as we stated, Monday is World Mental Health Day, and uh, the WHO states on their website. Uh, Many aspects of mental health have been challenged and already before the pandemic of 2019 an estimated one in eight globally were living with a mental disorder. At the same time, the services, skills, and funding available for mental health remain in short supply and fall far below what is needed, especially in low and middle income countries. COVID-19 has created a global crisis for mental health, fueling short and long-term stresses and and undermining the mental health of millions. And estimates put the rise in both anxiety and depressive disorders at more than 25% during the first year of the pandemic. At the same time, mental health services have been severely disrupted. Treatment uh, gap for mental health and conditions has widened. So they're making mental uh, health and well-being all a global priority. And this will be an opportunity for people with mental health conditions, advocates, governments, employers, employees, stakeholders to come together and recognize the progress in the field and to be vocal about what they need to ensure mental health and well-being becomes a global priority for all. And that is just so true. It really is. It really is. And, you know, I think the fact that they made this, they, you know, they started this initiative many years ago to raise awareness is so important. And especially now more than ever. I mean, you've heard me say that we are in the midst of global mental health crisis because we've just been through a major trauma collectively. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the pandemic. And I think uh, many times we've all talked about this in chats and in live, um, the whole point of how important it was for us and how lucky we were to have this community where we can still connect. And again, I know Passion Flicks got had really had to struggle when production shut down, but thank goodness we had Gabriel. You know, that production really helped people kind of get through and it gave them so it gave all of us something to look forward to. Um, thankfully they had shot, you know, they were able to shoot and have things in the can Mm -hmm. in order to edit and bring the film forth. But, you know, when people were in lockdown, you remember, uh, Julio Baruti Mm -hmm. (laughs) prolific social media presence at that time because he was connecting with man. (laughs) spoiler man well you know and he did a lot of interactive things at that time he did he did he was connecting he was uh, reaching out because we all needed that kind of a connection at that point so um you know one of the things uh on uh the awarenessdays.com website that i found uh, because it highlights the different days that were um, promoting, um, and as Shell's noting, stop the stigma of mental health. And that's exactly mm-hmm. where I was um, going with this. And um, the site had said the stigma attached to mental health 
causes a damaging, albeit ill-informed, attitude, making it more difficult for those affected to pursue help. Um, according to UK estimates, about uh, only about one-fourth of those with mental health problems undergo ongoing treatment. And by stark contrast, the vast majority of those affected with those problems are faced with a variety of issues ranging from isolation to uncertainty on where to get help or information to relying on the inform informal support of family, friends, and colleagues. And seeing in the chat, um, Shell's noted, SR's books changed my life by bringing so many wonderful people into my life. And Flora saying, yes, that's how I found Gabriel's Inferno movie. And then the books because of the lockdown and all you wonderful ladies, oh, Floor. Okay. I'm so glad to connect in the community. It's really, it really is, you know, I'll hit some of those points later about the connection and, and having community. Um, but it really is important to connect with people. And I think friendships help us keep going, especially through the tough times. So, um, and it's true. It is very true. I mean, with this community, I, you, there were, um, Gabe, I, there's a Gabe, Gabriel isolation group on Twitter that I became involved with for me personally, for all the bunch of others, passion flicks. There were mm -hmm. chat groups that started with passion flicks, uh, people. There were chat groups that were, uh, connected to, uh, just Gabriel. I, I you know, there was the five o'clock somewhere became the Zoom cocktail party, you know? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it, uh, it points out how much human contact we all need, whether it be in a text message, in a Zoom call, or, you know, and when you can't all be together and how important that is. And it's true. It's true. Um, one of the keys with, uh, you know, with mental health and the importance here is raising awareness and the best way to deal with the stigma is through facts and a better understanding of mental problems from identifying causes and pinpointing solutions to recognizing we really are dealing with medical issues. And it's, it's so true. And I think, you know, the UN also had some really good resources. Um, I'm going to include the link to the site for the UN um, on mental health in the chat. Um, and, you know, Cheryl's pointing out the stigma related to mental health is awful. Um, as an African-American, I was taught to never go and never tell my business like that. Mm -hmm. If I'm depressed, it's dismissed and I am crazy. And I think, you know, Cheryl's not only true in communities of color, um, although there are, I think, very strong cultural um, components uh, that I've, I've observed um, within the African-American community, within the Latino community, especially. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm up close and personal with that because um, my husband's Puerto Rican. Um, you, it's really, really important to talk about these things Be because as, as you noted, you know, a lot of it as you're growing up, you know, and especially I, I think you know, not showing weakness. And this was always discussed mm -hmm. and perceived as a weakness. And it's not a weakness. And, you know, it and, is a, and that not. Goes for, that goes for all forms of uh, mental health, uh, you know, whether it be depression or 
anxiety disorders or severe when it becomes more severe and like personality disorders and what have you. Yeah, there's also the addiction side of things um, that, you know, a lot of people, you know, that that's just if if you're if you're an alcoholic or a drug addict, you're you know you're that you're you're kind of shoved aside as being, you know, not having a mental health issue, but having you know being just totally ignorant of of other people and yourself. So I mean, right. there's there's a there was a lot of that i mean i i heard you know i've heard stories about um you know years ago how alcoholics were bums i went to school with a a, a young man elementary school who's i went to a catholic elementary school so i'm going to preface what i'm saying by that um that the when the alcoholic father left the house and didn't return the uh nuns in particular came down on the children to a fault mm-hmm. it's your mother's fault why did he leave you shouldn't leave your father, you know and this my my one classmate that i was in personally involved with it, it was horrible for him i mean he he would he would he all he had to do was look cross-eyed and and sister mary holy picture would come along and hit him with the, the roller or, or a pointer. And there was one occasion in fifth grade where he literally, the, the nun got so mad at him, she pushed him so hard into a blackboard that the slate blackboard, not a whiteboard like they have today, but slate, and behind the slate was a brick wall and it, and hit his head. And, and was he taken to a hospital? No. He was told to go sit down and behave himself. Mm. So, yeah, you know, so it, it, it doesn't just, it, it, it affects everybody it, and, and the stigma of, of what has happened to people and places from mental health is, is very sad. It is. It is. Um, you know, looking at the chat, um, Cheryl said it's impo- important to make a close family unit outside of family. Mm-hmm. Angels are there to help you maintain sanity in many ways. And Flores agreed with Cheryl. She said she too was taught the same, but friends and community helped me learn otherwise. Mm-hmm. And then, who, as many of you who are podcast regulars know, um, works in um, in counseling and mental health, has um, shared a rant, and this is heart wrenching. So I, I do think it needs to be voiced and read. Um, Mental health services for children with severe mental health and intellectual disability disorders is severely lacking. And yes, I actually know someone firsthand who actually struggled for many, many, um, many, many years trying to get services for their child. The state hospitals have been dismantled and the mandate of total community inclusion. This is great, but it's a grave disservice to that very small population that require a secure facility. After a hopeful honeymoon period, sadly, our girl is sitting in a hospital ER since Monday with zero facilities willing to accept her and the ER doc threatening lawsuits against my agency to have her removed from his ER. Daily Zoom calls with over 30 people, 16 years old. It is so frustrating and so hard that our system 
does not have the capacity to plan for those outliers, you know, not the big populations, these small, small populations of people who need specialized services because of their specific conditions. And it is really hard. I might like the family I mentioned honestly had to, this, this child was sent place to place to place that he kept getting kicked out. You know, he was, he was able to be managed when he was younger, but once he got into his teens and got to be older, bigger, stronger, mm-hmm. they, they really, really could not, you know, work with him. And finally they were able to find someone, I think out West, um, to, to find someone who was able to work with them and who he was able to respond to. So, you know, it, it's really heart wrenching. I'm seeing a lot. Everybody's commenting and reacting to that mm-hmm. strength, positive energy for you and for her, Anna shells noting. And Cyril saying, Anna, that's so sad. People need to stop judging people fight demons that we never know of that causes addiction, anxiety, mm-hmm. impression. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it's challenging. Anna says, I've worked many hours daily since December 22nd for her. She's exhausted and frustrated. All I can mm-hmm. say, Anna, thank you for, sincerely from the bottom of my heart for advocating for those who need it. And driving out here every Friday the way you did. Oh, my gosh. Because I believe yes. she was in uh, the hospital that's right right near my house. Yeah. And uh, that's a yeah. distance for Anna. Oh, it's huge. Mm-hmm. Ellie's um, noting, yes, women's mental health in particular and in our area, children. Having a child in therapy who has depression and social anxiety disorders, it is tough. Having to go out of pocket for care because insurance won't cover it all is also tough. Mm-hmm. But Maya, her daughter, is under the care of a great LGBTQ plus therapist and psychiatrist, and medication is helping her. But like Mm -hmm. I said, her anxiety still really affects her mental and physical health. Praying she gets to stay in her school this year. Fingers crossed. Mm -hmm. Our state hospital for children closed years ago. We would have to go down south or up north for help. Um, Ellie's saying, um, you know... Our system sucks, frankly. Floor saying failed system that needs some serious upgrading. Um, and uh, for those, we are talking U.S. healthcare system for our international friends listening. Mm-hmm. Um, Ellie's saying, my husband is still looking for a therapist for over a year. That will take our insurance as we can't go out of pocket for two. And um, Anna notes, when she was in the Philadelphia hospital, the cost was $2,300 per day. Yep. They refused to take her back. And I, everyone is giving you prayers and hugs, Anna. And to her, um, Black Lab Lady said, oh, Ellie, that's, she'll be on my prayer list too. Mm-hmm. And Betty says, good luck, Anna. I hope you can find the help your girl needs. So, you know, it's really, really important to be able to find resources and access And we have to do the best that we got with the system we have. And it is a very frustrating system. Hey, I can attest to that with my own son. Um, With his addiction issues. I mean, when his addiction first became full-blown, he would, 
be he would call rehab centers and be put into a rehab only to have insurance say that you have to leave after five days now anybody who knows any you know rehabs for addiction or alcoholism five days isn't going to do it five days you're just getting you know you might be coming down off the drug that you're doing it, it, it takes five days to detox right if if not more i think it's five though anna can correct I yeah. think it's five. And, but I mean, then, but this would go on and on and on. And he'd come out and of course it would start all over again. He'd go back in, he'd come out and go back in. And finally there, at one point he was allowed to have a full 28 days. Mm. And, um, he, his, the insurance did pick that up, but this was after two years, two and a half yep. years. Um, I know that, uh, the, the offer, because I, you know, I was asked to meet with a, his counselor at one point, and if he had to go into the rehab as a self-pay, it was seventeen thousand dollars for a twenty-eight day stay. Not everybody has seventeen thousand dollars that they can put out of pocket, and they don't accept payment plans. They want <clears> it all, all up front. So. Yeah, it's it's a real challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, I know since the opioid epidemic, there has been some more services and resources opening up, but it's still, and, and we have to, ch- we have to celebrate some of the incremental progress. So mm-hmm. I, do, I do want to give credit where credit is due, but there's a lot more that's needed, mm-hmm. frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, I think, um, Ellie said, pray that her band director isn't an astor today. I'll go mama bear on him if he's, if she's called out from missing mm-hmm. practice to drug up and be there today. And Shell's noting she's encountered many children who had mental health issues, but because they were under three, they were told they had to wait until five because the brain hasn't fully developed. Early intervention would have been more beneficial, but they were ignored and then the issues became greater. And Anna's noting in Pennsylvania, the child welfare system precludes funding assistance in a secure facility. Um, so the cost would be a hundred percent county mm-hmm, funding, mm-hmm. approximately a million per year. And that's just, you know, that needs to be fixed. Cheryl's saying, Pam, the only place that truly helps people with addiction is Texas. Her friend was able to stay at a place free till clean and then helped him get a place to live a job and now in nursing school. That is an amazing story, That is Shirley. great. That is great. Uh, and I will be calling you if I need uh, more info on that for people I, I encounter. Um, and, you know, another thing that was written in here, Cheryl saying, we can try to help by trying to be there for people and let others know they have someone. The worst thing is for someone to feel as if they have no one. I'm thankful for you all because you are my folks. And I think that really underscores um, a really important aspect. And I wanted to share this. This was another resource from the UN. And um, I'm not going to go over the whole thing. I will put a link in the box uh, for you guys. But it is a fact sheet on support, supporting a colleague, supporting a friend. The PDF focuses on recognizing when someone might be developing a mental health condition and how does it support the person? And what I like about it is it's broken into two sections. It talks about if someone approaches you 
and it also talks about how to approach someone. Um, and a couple of the suggestions, if a colleague approaches you um, saying they need help, suggest that you talk in a private space away from computers, telephones, and interruptions. Be warm and validating in both mm -hmm. your verbal and nonverbal responses. Be clear about the time you have available. You might be, feel comfortable offering to follow up the conversation and make a specific plan if you're open to do that. Work out how you will remain relaxed and focused. Actually, I'm going to read these all because I think they're all pretty good. Um, offer eye contact unless the person does not seem comfortable with that. Uh, let the person start talking in their own time. Listen actively. Um, I am truncating some of these answers. Be encouraging. Ask open questions such as what happened then. So, you know, that's allowing people to get it out. And that's mm -hmm. allowing them mm -hmm. to share and a non-threatening, non-judgmental way. Um, when someone's distressed, they may be confused or distracted. It may help to recap what you've heard your colleagues say before you end the conversation. Um, they will likely feel heard and experience relief. And you can also, con that's also, that's a basic, really strong, basic tenet of good communications. You know, someone will share something with you and then say, um, what I, what I believe you just said was this. And that way, am I right? Did I hear you correctly? Because that way you're making sure, you're following up around with them and circling mm -hmm. back to make sure that your understanding is what their intention is. Because sometimes people will say things, especially if they're upset, and they might not be putting it, um, they might not be conveying what they're really feeling. And so then, that text is important. And you also want them to feel like they're, you're listening to them as well. And they, exactly. that you hear them. You hear them. Exactly. And remember another important thing, and this is boundaries to protect yourself, right? Remember, it's not your role to fix the colleagues' problems. Mm -hmm. You may have ideas that people or practical steps the person can take, but overall, it's not an easy solution in many cases. And just listening is usually the greatest value. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you feel out of your depth, definitely put your own well-being and self-care first. Take steps to ensure your colleague has other support. Um, but if you feel you're really, you know, this is beyond what you can help them with, um, step back when you need to. Um, try and connect them to services, you know. But mm -hmm. if you're feeling trapped by a colleague's needs or overwhelmed by their problems, or overly responsible for the welfare, that's when you, you really want to signal it's time for them to get to a professional. Um, you know, you're not the trained counselor. Uh, you're not, you're, you're not responsible for solving the problems. Um, listening is, is your role and helping to connect them to services or, or being strong enough to suggest that, um, is, is really the value there. So I thought that was really, really helpful. And then the other uh, scenario that they discuss is what happens if you want to approach them if you're observing things. Mm -hmm. um, and it's saying, if you have concerns um, about their well-being and they don't seem to be seeking support, be aware that their consent and readiness is open. To open up is important. Um, so, you know, you don't want to rush them or push them just like 
we discuss with addiction, right? You can't, you cannot do it for them. The, someone who's in the midst of addiction has to get to the point where they recognize it and can take on the willingness to, to be open to help. Um, if you approach the person to talk, be gentle in your probing. Do not begin a conversation by asking direct questions like, are you well enough to be working? <laughs> um, that, that's a real good one. Right. Direct observations may also put your colleague on defense. Like, you're, you know, you don't look well or I'm worried about you. Rather, just be, begin by asking the person if they'd like a cup of tea or what plans they have for the evening or weekend. You know, just try to be there so they could be open to the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a couple other things, you know, but be prepared to follow up with an initial meeting and be clear about organizing that. If you ask, um, you know, if you ask them to go for tea or coffee, um, obviously you want to go somewhere quiet and mm-hmm. uh, in a place that's conducive to chat in a safe space for them. And again, you want to manage your own feelings too. If you feel like you're getting beyond your depth, obviously, you know, yeah, help talk to other people. The aim's not to be the therapist again, but to help the colleague understand that might be helpful for them to seek a counselor. Um, you're not the counselor, you're the friend and you're there to be supportive. So I really thought sometimes, and I've experienced this in my own work situations, it really is important to be supportive and to let them talk to you. And that's happened, um, in my work environment. And I thought this tip sheet was really helpful. It kind of helped you keep on track. So absolutely. You know, and it's fun. The chat is, it's funny because this is bringing back during, during the pandemic, there was a young woman that reached out to me through Twitter. She was from Canada and she, her family had gone through some outside of COVID some very severe uh, traumatic experiences and mm-hmm. had, and because of COVID, a lot of what she needed to have couldn't be done. There was basically a sep- had to be a separation of people within her, her unit, her family unit, mm-hmm. and it couldn't be done. And I, she, she reached out to me and she was telling me every, you know, which about that and she didn't know what to do she didn't know what the resources were or and you know I'm in Pennsylvania in the United States I'm not in Canada and right so I had I I I started going through uh the Canadian mental health system a little bit and I actually reached out to someone in her province in their mental health group in the in the province I, I, I kind of explained to her what was going on and, and, you know, some of the things that she says that she needed. Um, I, and I, I didn't know what resources to give her. Uh, and because there, there, was a, there was a waiting list in, in her province for mental health. And her mental health needs were needed now, not three months from now, which is, which is hard to do too. And, and, you know, 
you, you know, you, you, you do what you gotta, you gotta do. So I, I did, there was one resource I found and I called them and I explained what it was about. And they said, well, if you know, we can take it right away, but she has to call us. So I got all the information. I sent it to her. I've tried to reach out to her since and I've gotten silent. So I don't know what happened after that. And I'm just hoping that on my part, I wasn't trying to be judgmental of what she was going through because it was, it was pretty severe, but uh, uh, yeah, I, I feel, I feel bad about not her not coming back to me after I reached, you know, reaching out to her. But I, I feel good about the fact that I was able to get this information through uh, the Canadian mental health uh, groups in her province to get her the information. So it is out there if you look. And I, you know, you know, I, I got a phone call after I made this one phone call. Um, Ms. Langworthy, we understand that you do. Do you know that somebody in your in your uh, from this number called Canada? Oh my, from my cell phone. I said yes, I do. It's me. So I, you know, they were checking back to see if something had happened because mm -hmm. it is so outside the mainstream of everything that I, you know. But anyway, it was hard though. It was hard for her. It, her situation was severe. I felt. I felt really. I I feel very hopeful that she found something in at least somewhere along the line. Mm -hmm. So I'm hopeful, you know, um, and I, I sending hugs to Cheryl. Um, she's shared such a pat moving um, and heart, heart wrenching uh, post here. And I, I really want to thank you, Cheryl, for raising this up. Um, she notes, I have depression. I've told my family and they told me to kill myself and my uncle tried to make the jump, me jump in front of a car. The psychiatrist told me I had situational depression. All triggers are finances, unemployment and feeling like a failure because my child is troubled and I don't have a husband. My mom makes me feel bad each time I talk to her because she boasts about how pretty and well off friends are and then look at me. The women in my family call me fat and funny looking, and my daughter is a crackhead. It hurts. And my daughter a crackhead. It hurts. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Cheryl, you're seeing the love coming your way from your family, um, the SR family. Um, and strength and positive vibes from Cheryl. Um, Cheryl also notes compassion and genuine care is what people need. And she also made a comment for you directly, Pammy, um, saying that you had the non-judgmental heart and cared. She didn't find that with anyone else. And, you know, that's important. We have these support systems. Flora saying, wow, Cheryl, so sorry. Sending you love, light, and acceptance of who you are. You are worthy and have all the strength you need. We are here for you. Um, you also had um, notes from... Elena, Black Lab Lady, saying, Cheryl, that is just so wrong. You are wonderful, appreciated, and loved by people who know your value. Sometimes folks' families are just the worst. Don't ever let anyone question your worth on this planet. And, um, you know, Cheryl was thanking you for trying to help um, your friend. Well, thank you. Well, and thank Canada. You. And prayers, Brenda's saying, from New Orleans. Prayers to you, Cheryl. 
Ellie's saying, thank, that's just awful, Cheryl. You're amazing, and you can only do you. You can choose your support and family when your own is blind and unhelpful. And that's one of the things, um, I reconnected with a friend I used to work with at the YWCA in York, Pennsylvania, um, recently. And she always used this term because she had a very unsupportive family. She always used the term, she has her family of choice. Mm-hmm. And every Thanksgiving morning, she would have a brunch, a breakfast, and invite everybody over, and they can bring be in their jammies, or they can just come over and watch the parade and have breakfast and great food, because she wanted to celebrate Thanksgiving with her family of choice before going to see her biological family, mm-hmm. and because that, for her, was the true joyful part of communing on that day. And I always remember that phrase, because I thought it was a beautiful notion, um, that you can come together and, and really care for one another like a family. So we are here for you, Cheryl. Um, and, um, you know, just, just know that as Ellie notes, you're amazing and you can only do you. And I love that. That's right. Thank you for your comment, Cheryl. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that Cheryl. Cause I think it takes some bravery to do that. Um, it really, really is important. And, you know, I think that reinforces the importance of this mental health, World Mental Health Day, Mm -hmm. because it is, you know, it is so stigmatized. Um, It really is something that we need to discuss and chat about. Mm -hmm. I think you have a little more now, Pam. Yes, I do. Uh, One thing I wanted to uh, comment from Anna, Uh, Cheryl, Mm -hmm. Situational depression is much on the rise. Both individual and group therapy helps. Trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy is helpful. Often families uh, react out of fear, and they don't know how to help. And you are strong enough to voice your troubles, and they're hiding the same. Really good. Mm -hmm. From our podcast expert. (laughs) Thank you for sharing that, Anna. So, um, one, and, one uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Elena, one more comment I just saw pop in. Sure. She's blessed to have a pretty carefree and upbeat personality, but I know depression all too well in my family. My mom had severe depression, especially in her later years. Uh, there's suicide, drug addiction, and severe anxiety with others. I'm always available if anyone in our SR family needs to talk or if, or vent or just needs a listening ear. Pam and Leslie know how to reach me, and that is true. Elena has the beautiful soul and is a wonderful listener. She is. Um, so if you, you know, let us know and we'll connect you guys if, if you need another friendly ear in the SR community to talk to directly. She's always good. She is good. Um, so one of, a lot of the issues that are coming out of the pandemic uh, are, especially with children, um, are depression, loneliness, PTSD, grief, addiction, suicidal tendencies. And the children are showing just as many signs of this as the adults are. And uh, the, especially the abandonment with children, because, you know, you, they've lost parents or parent, they've lost grandparents, aunts, uncles, that siblings that, you know, and when you're young enough and, and grief, that kind of grief hits you. It's hard to 
express it, number one, but you know, especially younger kids, when, when a parent leaves, even in that regard, there's a feeling of abandonment with them. Um, you know, it's, according to the CDC site, it says, although most children and adolescents infected with COVID appear to have mild or moderate symptoms and the limited mortality rates, a recent review has identified various mental health problems among those exposed to the COVID-19 pandemic, including anxiety, stress, depression, panic, irritation, impulsivity, somnization, sleep problems, emotional liability, post-traumatic stress disorder, and suicidal behavior. Necessary actions of transmission, reducing you know, the quarantine and social distancing may enhance physical safety of children and adolescents, but at the same time come with increased risks of psychological impacts in this vulnerable age group. A rising number of confirmed cases and deaths, fear of infection, lack of education access due to school closures, disruptions of daily routine due to home confinement, and social distancing, as well as family financial loss, have all contributed towards these feelings of anxiety, stress, and uncertainty uh, among uh, adolescents. And I, I picked up that there, there are resources that are at the CDC site has that I've also included in a link. Yes, and I'm posting that right now, okay. so you that um, you can include that for more help and resources. Yeah. It's really important. Mm -hmm. you know we're, uh, you know, there there's so many important things here. Um, you know, Anna notes we need to have there needs to be a realistic plan to implement, um, along with the therapy medication. Um, drug and alcohol's catchphrase is to change people, places, and things. And how do you do that? Okay. You know, the heck do you do that? Um, so it's it really is a challenge. And um, in in respect to personally with my son and my granddaughter, you know, out not including all the issues of him being an alcoholic and a drug addict and and not living with me anymore. Uh, unfortunately, right as this whole pandemic started. Um, it was the abandonment that she felt by Patrick because Patrick couldn't come to see her. Patrick, right. she couldn't come down here to, to be, to see him. Um, the, the fact that, you know, Patrick at the time would lose his phone at the drop of a hat, you know, or it would break or, or something. And, you know, so there's, there was a lack of connection between the two. And mm -hmm. it it really affected Isabella. Um, I've had chats with her mother, and I know she, she is getting counseling uh, for a lot of this, but um, the, the, the grief that she felt, and this was before Patrick died, the grief she felt was, mm -hmm. was very real. And so there are a lot of children that the parent doesn't have to be an alcoholic or a drug addict, but just the physical separation of, of travel during the pandemic there, you yeah. know, you, you do what you can to keep in touch, but there's nothing with a parent. There's nothing like that physical connection to of the hug and, and, and the, the goofing around and the laughing together and that kind of stuff. So, and that makes it, made it hard for a lot of them. So, 
yeah, it's, it's, it's super important to be tuned in. Mm-hmm. Um, Anna noted, you know, also do keep an eye when a patient's seemingly getting better. Sometimes the suicidal threat becomes greater mm-hmm. as has gotten well enough to carry out the act. Mm-hmm. So you always have to try and be tuned in. And I know we're going to share some resources at the end of the podcast. Um, you are getting lots of love there, Pam. Thank Cheryl you. Singh. For you and Isabella, and Anna's noting mental health and drug and alcohol services must be holistic and a family-based treatment. Mm-hmm. And um, Flora's sending love and light. Elaine uh, is noting and agreeing with Anna. She had an uncle who everyone thought had turned a corner and was getting better when actually he had made peace with taking his own life. And that's a really hard, um, that's a really hard realization. Well, you know, to, to understand that after the fact, um, and, it's really, and, and that's, that's good to point out too. The, one of the, um, there was a, a congressman from Maryland, Jamie Raskin, who mm. had a son, yeah. I think he was 20. Who uh, yeah, it was college aged. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he, you know, he felt that he, he did have some depression and anxiety issues. And, you know, Jamie Raskin has talked about it. The loss has been profound for him. He committed suicide. And um, he's... Uh, can- Decide. Let's be clear. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, that you know, he's, he's compelled to follow his son's um, ideas and, and projects that was he was promoting, and it was just mm-hmm. you know he seemed to be coming out of that and doing well when when this happened. So yeah, it, it, it affects really, everybody. It does, and and. You know, we actually asked SR about mm-hmm. mental health. He knows we, and really supports the fact that we do this uh, special podcast uh, annually. And also the fact we discuss these issues as we come across them in the books. Mm-hmm. Um, so we asked SR, you often include mental health struggles as part of your complex characters, personas, and journeys. Were there ever any mental health issues like addiction, anxiety, PTSD, abandonment, etc.? Um, or intentionally that you wanted to tackle in your books, or did it just evolve? And we also asked, did you research any of these topics, or have you researched counseling? Any recommendations or words of encouragement for people who are struggling? So um, SR's answer in true SR form was just beautifully stated and very heartfelt. He said, I'm glad that you're highlighting mental health. There was a time when I was in trouble, but refused to get help. I thought I could simply power through my struggles or think my way out of them. But as I discovered, there comes a point at which I needed help. And once I reached out and got the professional help I needed, things began to get better. So I would encourage others to take that first step of getting help, even if it means asking a friend or family member to take to make the phone call or appointment for you. Sometimes mental health issues freeze you so that you can't pick up the phone or make the appointment. But someone else can do it for you. Don't let your inability to make a phone call keep you from getting help. So I really thank SR 
I'm going to put the, the response and the question in the chat. I really thank SR for sharing that piece mm -hmm. of his inspiration and his journey and approach to mental health. Um, because it's really, really, I think, profound. And it's a great reminder, that whole idea of it freezing you. Mm -hmm. And it I, does, I, it can. I, I can. I've seen that. And I think sometimes it, it is that, that support, you know, that just someone who maybe, it may, maybe will approach you, you know, like that tip sheet that I shared with you. And, you know, the, the person can just say, hey, I can make that call. I can connect you. And sometimes you just need that extra little push or that extra little um, knowing that there's another person that's caring that can make a difference. Um, Cheryl says, when you acknowledge to yourself you have a problem is also a big start, which I totally agree. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, Anna's noting, and I think this ties into our earlier conversation as well, um, medications often stop by the patient when they start to feel better. Many psych meds create neurosymptoms when stopped abruptly. Patients historically are not great in compliance with meds and treatment. Case managers can help. And she said, just be careful. Often another person cannot make an appointment for the patient due to confidentiality. And I'm confused by that because the patient you to make the initial call, I think they would be an agent of the patient. And they, shouldn't they be able to if the patient gives that permission? I know that's more of a legal kind of question. But I think the point being, it's good to have someone who's a support. And it's good to recognize when you need help to call a counselor like Anna. Uh, I, you know, as far as rehabilitation centers for drug and alcoholism, the patient themselves must call. Yes. Now that I know, but I, I, I can say this firsthand because I did it. Mm -hmm. I was with my cousin when we were calling for her to get help. And so I was on the line with her because the patient had to be on um, for, for, for that particular situation. Mm -hmm. um, but I was there support. Um, and yes, Anna, I'm glad you mentioned that because it's kind of so ingrained in us, but it, it's important to be stated. If a person is in crisis, call 911. Thank you for that, Anna. Um, and Cheryl said, like, my child, I know all her info, and I make her appointments. Yes. You know, and I can point out in my own experience of what happened uh, with Patrick when he was about 19. Um, he, he, he was in community college. He was studying to be a paramedic. And mm -hmm. I came home from work one night, and he, his class because they arranged the classes at the community college for actually working police or fire, firemen who wanted to become involved. Um, had a six o'clock class and I got home. I walked into his bedroom and he was, I think he drank about a half a bottle of vodka and he was just completely, totally passed out. And um, I tried to wake him 
And he's like, oh, I got to go to class. I got to go to class. I'm going to drive. I'm going to drive. I'm going to do I'm driving right And there's no way he could ever get in, in, the, in a car. And so I enabled, and which was my tendency to do at times, um, to say, come on, Patrick, get in the car. I'll, I'll drive you up to school. Knowing that he'd pass out in the car and it wasn't going to happen. But. But we're uh, in Dobbs Ferry, New York, as I'm going on to get onto the highway to go up to the school, and he jumps out of the car, just jumps out of the car, screaming. I didn't know what to do, so I went to the Dobbs Ferry Police Department, and I told him, he's, I said, I think he's suicidal, which I thought he was. Mm. And they, they said, okay, we'll take care of it. I said, do, do I need to go with you? Do I, you know, how do I, how do I deal with this? And I told him about where it happened. And they said, we'll call you. Go back to your house, we'll call you. And I did, and they got him. And they took him up to the Westchester Medical Center uh, for, they, cause they have connections to, um, I think it was Presbyterian's Hospital in White Plains, New York, that has a, uh, for uh, help with, you know, medical health problems. And so they took him up there and they said, now there's nothing you can do. Because um, I, I wanted to go up to Westchester and they said, we're, we're making arrangements for him to go to this place. And um, I was like, okay. And uh, they said, you know, you can go up there and meet up with them because they're probably going to need information from you because he was stolen my health insurance and whatever. And I went up there and they brought him in. Oh, he was mad at me. He cursed me out left, right, and sideways. Gave the information. They said, okay, now you can leave. Bye. I left. They held him for three days and um, had me come in. And they gave me the name of a rehab up in Connecticut that was actually was excellent. I'm sorry that, you know, his issues about 10 years later, to, you know, went downhill. But during those 10 years, he was loose and he was, he was the person he was meant to be, you know, from this rehab. And um, so, you know, from there it was, He's the one that had to make all the calls. But in order right. to get him the help he needed, I had to go to the police department to have them help me. Nine one, it wasn't 911, but it was walking into their office or into the station house. So it happens. But it underscores the fact that, you know, getting help is an important piece of this. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, you were able to connect him with the services that really helped him mm -hmm. for many years. Really great. And, mm -hmm. um, uh, Anna notes police and ambulance will respond to a 911 mental health call. Um, they can call crisis response. Also, she's learned a 302 commitment by a police officer must be upheld by the hospital. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, that's, that's ensuring that the person was going to be, you know, um, uh, cared for, mm -hmm. uh, or at least taken in, um, to try and, um, keep them safe. Mm 
uh, and also keep others safe as well. Um, so thank you. And Anna also clarified when I asked her the question earlier, and I appreciate that she clarified it. Um, after the patient makes the initial call, the patient can sign a release so that they can act as the agent. So the patient needs to be initially involved with that permission. Mm -hmm. And, the, and uh, the facility needs to know that the patient gives them the finition. Because uh, at least in Pennsylvania, that's one of the, as we call them, the super protected information classes. Mm -hmm. um, there's also, um, if you have AIDS, HIV, that's also protected. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really, really important to have um, that uh, permission uh, written from the patient, um, which, you know, ensures privacy. Mm -hmm. uh, also, Anna notes a child, age 14 or over, can dictate their own mental health treatment, which, wow, I did not realize that. Uh, mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, some of the other, you know, uh, I think we have a couple resources. We do. We wanted to include in the links here. I included a, um, for the United States, the uh, health, uh, it's the SAMHSA uh, Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration uh, that has all kinds of resources for treatments, uh, practitioner training, all, all kinds of information in regard to helplines and that kind of thing. Um, I also have a site for the for Canada, their public health system, which is the um, uh, open that. Yeah, the link. And I'll uh, put these links in. Yeah. In the chat um, box. It's the government of Canada, and it's in both French and English. It uh, gives the mental health support that you can go through text messages for youths and adults what you can do if you're in crisis if you if for indigenous people because that's the one thing that i particularly like about canada is that they do focus on indigenous the indigenous first nations groups and the inuit and the met medi um metis that they have you know they they make special arrangements just for them to deal with it. Um, you know, provincial territory resources. There's all kinds of information there on their site as well. Um, there's also in the United States, as far as suicide, uh, a 988 number that you can either text them or you can call them and you're immediately put together with someone. Um, it's a suicide hotline, which is a good, uh, you know, which is a, it makes it a lot easier, a lot quicker to, to get the help that may be needed. Uh, it is live in the U.S. and in Canada, it will be starting in the fall of 2023. So that's, uh, there's all, kind, all kinds of great stuff. Yeah, we put that in the chat box and I, as we wrap up, I, I wanted to share, I, I was lucky enough to go to the Pennsylvania Women's Conference, um, Pennsylvania Conference for Women in Philadelphia this past week on Thursday. And they brought in some really amazing keynote speakers. Um, the, the topic of the conference this year, and Pennsylvania Conference for Women, 
um, was re reset, renew, and reconnect. And it was in light of obviously the pandemic. This was the first event they held. Um, they had one day on Thursday was in person and the second day was virtual. Um, and they had some powerhouse speakers. Ariana Huffington opened um, the session. And some of the things, they continued to highlight things that helped uh, with your mental health and self-care. And so I, I highlighted a couple things that the, Ariana Huffington um, and then later in the day, we heard from Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin, um, who were phenomenal. And I just wanted to share a few of those to, to kind of inspire all of us, because it really inspired me um, personally. Um, Ariana Huffington said that we lived for decades on the fact that people kind of approach work, 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 and you almost have to burn out to succeed. And she said, just... That's not the case. You know, make, try and make small micro steps for incremental progress. Even little changes can mean big things down the road. Bring more joy and really focus on getting more sleep. Try and separate from your phone 60 minutes before bed. Um, she said she now declares the end of the working day. She turns off the phone. She called it a nuclear weapon and she needs she actually puts the phone to bed under a blanket. <laughs> they have a little phone outside of the bedroom. They, they don't even have the phone. Her phone is not even in her bedroom. And she puts the phone to bed, and then she puts herself to bed. And I love that idea, um, trying to not be on your phone um, and let your mind quiet. She said, sleep deprivation is at the heart of the mental health crisis, and having that separation of, of the phone really will help. She, I think, recently wrote a book. She researched this. So I, I, I want to read the book because it sounds really good. And the other tip she had was, um, based on science, cumulative stress is avoidable by having a 60-second reset breathing throughout the day. And I thought that was a helpful thing. Take, mm -hmm. take time out of your day, even for 60 seconds, just to reset. And another great antidote for anxiety, and you guys know this in the community, gratitude. Gratitude mm -hmm. is the antidote for anxiety. List and think about three things you're grateful for. It really helps reset, you know, because one of the stats they threw around was about 50% of women say that they are burnout at this time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I thought those were some really good tips. And then a few more that came out. Um, one of her mantras is live life as though everything is rigged in your favor. So kind of have that positive mindset. And take some time every day to look inward. It makes things better. More joy, more resilience. Onward, upward, inward is her mantra. And I thought that was very insightful. And I'm seeing a lot of comments here in the, in the chat. Um, Shell says, thank you for sharing this. I have anxiety and I let my work know. And they've been trying to work with me if I get overwhelmed. Wow. I'm kudos for your bravery, Shell. And I'm really glad that they're trying to work with you because that's, that's as it should be. 
Um, and I hope things continue. Um, I hope things get better. Betty says this podcast has been insightful, inspiring, and I hope it helps bring healing to everyone. Sending a virtual hug. Thank you, Betty. I think we all need that virtual mm-hmm. hug and you give some of the best hugs. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Betty's so grateful to this podcast weekly, literally a peace of mind. I didn't know I needed floor. Pam and I feel the same way about me doing the podcast. Um, Having me time means a lot, Cheryl notes. And Brenda says, as a nurse, I thank y'all for continued awareness to this disease that continues to get worse as the days go by. And unfortunately, the funds here in the U.S. and all over the world are not the best. There are not enough facilities to even help people as they need it. Thanks to everyone who shared their story. It takes a lot of guts to speak up. Just remember, you can only take it one minute, hour, day at a time. Mm-hmm. And Brenda, I, that just resonates with me so much. And it's, you know, that comment Ariana Huffington made about those incremental steps, those micro steps for incremental progress. It's, my kids start laughing at me because I, I just like incremental progress, just a little bit at a time. You just got to focus and celebrate on making some positive step, even if it's really small. Mm-hmm. Um, Betty saying any, any small victory should be celebrated on my phone. And I either read before bed or listen to the audio book. It's interesting, Betty. I was thinking the same thing. Cause right now I have it on my phone, uh, the book. And I think part of it is, I think in that respect, they probably are talking more about texting and scrolling on social media, maybe mm-hmm. not reading. That's kind of how I took it. Cause I know a lot of things say reading is uh, a good way to, kind of wind down at the end of the day. Um, and as Anna says, when you're on call 24, seven, 365, my work cells always on and charged. And I hear you there, Anna, cause I had been mm-hmm. in a situation. So oh. it doesn't everybody, I guess for those who can, they try to have you do that. Um, <laughs> Betty, Betty thought I was going to say sex helps with anxiety. Well, well can. it can. <laughs> I think as it's a stress. stress relief, but <laughs> as long as it's not used as a crutch, because then it can become an issue. Right. No, I think, I think definitely, especially in a loving relationship. Yeah. Um, and for a physical, pure physical stress release, I guess that would work too. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the name of the book again? Um, I'm not sure which book I, I, am not sure. I think Ariana's new book is called Thrive, but I'm not sure. Her name's Ariana Huffington. No, she's written a bunch of books, but it's one of her newer ones. Um, Black Lab Lady said the podcast is always a healing, positive experience. I'm grateful for all of you and truly value each of you. May you all have a wonderful and positive week ahead. Love and hugs to you all. And... Anna says, often people who speak at conferences and provide these good suggestions are really out of touch, though. They have the resources to be able to implement them. Often the people I work with are struggling to meet basic needs. Very mm-hmm. true. Mm-hmm. Very true. But I think some of these things that she suggested are things we can all implement. The gratitude for me, especially, that is something that's really helped in my, you know, in my day to day. One of the things they talked about, too, was humor. As Cheryl wrote, what is sex? LOL. Um, yeah, well, well, you know, sex doesn't have to be 
act it out with a partner. I'm not saying that it doesn't. <laughs> Just saying. Um, and Betty says, if sex not an, is not an option, I recommend chocolate or Gregorian chants. Um, <laughs> and, you know, when Jane Fonda was speaking, she noted, um, she read a study, and I don't know if any of you came across this. I found this interesting. She said, um, women and friendship are, is really key. And she said, uh, she read a study that said women who don't have women friends is worse for your health than smoking. And I thought that was interesting because mm -hmm. uh, the concept being that women have that connection and that connectivity. And obviously they talked about women friendship because her and Lily Tomlin um, work together. And um, so, and this sense of community, it was really important. And I'm laughing because Brenda's saying you can have a Bob. It's true. <laughs> Which stands for battery operated boyfriend. And, uh, and uh, Brenda pointed out. Um, Cheryl said, I hear there are some good toys out there. <laughs> and Pam, do you have a chapter ready for that one? Elena <laughs> asks. <laughs> oh my gosh I love it but that, that's part of it friendship laughter um, we care about each other that's important even getting good sleep learn what your triggers are she resets with her friends um, she also because she was asked about longevity because Jane Fonda's 84 going on 85 mm -hmm. and she said you know she also recommends and it's helped her making friends with people who are younger than you are. Um, she said, you know, because everybody my age is dying. Um, she said, it's really good to have insight from younger people too. Um, and, you know, trying to have, um, make healthier choices in foods, um, lots of laughs and having lots of fun. Um, and the other thing she talked about, which I thought sounded really cool, and we've talked about that as well, is nature. Mm -hmm. Nature And she said she read and she then experienced um, in Japan, they have this experience called taking a forest bath. And you actually go into the forest and it's breathing in the forest. Um, just being in the space with trees. And nature can help you reconnect and reset and you kind of let that being out in the open now of course if you have allergies i know that's a little hard to do mm -hmm. but for those who aren't being in nature really helps you reset and and it just helps you kind of get some calm and some peace and i thought some of those were really good um tips to include especially the friendship and the the laughter um really kind of resonated with me. So I wanted to share some of those with you. Because um, is the best medicine Carol after all. does look, um, by the way, in person. I, wow, she's, she's remarkable. Um, and she's has Hodgkin's lymphoma now. She's um, um, under can undergoing cancer treatments. I was shocked that she came. I thought she was going to be remote, but she was um, really, really um, insightful and elegant and, um, provided good comments as well. And her and Lily Tomlin together, Lily actually was not in person, but their interaction and their banter, I, I knew they worked together and knew each other. I did not realize the depth of their friendship. 
um, their longstanding friendship. And it really was, you know, their family. You could just tell. It goes back to nine to five. It goes back, right, before nine to five. And they actually told that story um, of how it came to be. And Mm -hmm. Jane had the idea from someone she knew who organized secretarial workers um, you know, cause she also said activism is a great antidote for anxiety. Mm-hmm. So if there's passionate about or feel about get active in it, it really also is another way to help evolve. And she had the idea and she thought initially it was going to be kind of a dark, serious movie. And then she saw Lily Tomlin's one woman show for which the Tony award, I believe. And she was like, she needs to be in this film. And then on the drive home after seeing Lily Tomlin, she was listening to Dolly Parton on the radio. Mm-hmm. And she said, Dolly, she would be great. And she said, and this movie now has to be funny because they're both very funny women. And that's the genesis of 9 to 5. That's how it got started. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, really inspiring. And as noting, humor, positive attitude is truly helpful. My office had a goodbye to Anna's boobs party. Oh, it was puck camp. Oh my gosh. They know you so well. That's so supportive and so embracing and you need that, Mm -hmm. you know, and Anna, again, congratulations on your milestone. Um, that's awesome. (laughs) Betty says a walk in the farm with cows could be relaxing. Especially if there's a uh, a nice tall farm boy with you. There's a Dante. (laughs) Grad. <laughs> yes. Well, and Brenda's also tied in, you know, uh, one of the comments Jane Fonda said was about trying to eat healthy food. Um, mm-hmm. And Tabitha Brown was also one of the speakers, and she was phenomenal. If you don't know her, look her up. She's a social media phenom, but also is a Food Network show. Um, very high energy, really positive. Um, and she talked a lot about wellness and food. She suffered. She had a migraine for a year and a half nonstop, not, they couldn't diagnose it. They thought it was autoimmune. They went through all the stuff and she was trying to cons- figure out what was different, what was consistent with her. Cause her family had severe health issues and she thought diet and she tried, she's like, I'm going to try to be vegan for 30 days. After 10 days, her migraine was gone. So diet is super important. Brett said, my daughter deals with depression. The doctor always told her diet is really important in this high sugar, high carbs, high fatty foods do changes to the brain when your body tries to process it. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was another tip that Tabitha Brown offered. Um, She's not saying everyone go vegan, but for her, when she was trying to find out how to help her health issue, that was a solution that worked for her body. So Mm -hmm. it was really good information. Um, <laughs> as Betty says, a walk with a sexy stud, cough, 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 with <laughs> and I'm laughing for that. So yeah. Yeah. laughter is good and good friends is so important. And I really want to thank everybody for sharing this special podcast with us and for sharing yourselves. Um, you guys said it all in the chat box and you, you're what makes the podcast really resonate and important. So thank Absolutely. you for that. Absolutely. And Pam, want to talk about the music today and uh, what you're sending us out on? Uh, for, the, uh, for the first hour of the podcast, the music that was being played was played by 
bands who have lost members due to suicide or drug addiction or some sort of mental illness. So you, you know, Pink Floyd had Sid Barrett. Of course, we all know Michael Hutchins from NXS. And uh, there was, uh, you know, you know, Soundgarden has lost people. Um, Fleetwood Mac, there was Bob Welsh. Um, you know, so there's, there, I just wanted to add that in there. And of course the most famous, most current would be Naomi Judd. So the Judds were in there too. So, but I am leaving us out, sending us out with, uh, a little cowbell, hopefully to brighten up this already bright day and, uh, enjoy. And again. Happy Thanksgiving, Canada. So, all have a good week, and we'll see you next week. Take care, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back talking about the book, um, part two of chapter two. Yep. Um, part two. Next week, <laughs> April's Redemption. See you Love all you then. All.